0: Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Giwa. My guest on the podcast today, Eric Cardenas, has a dream to improve access for those who suffer inequity in the suburbs where he was born and raised. Undaunted by the idea that healthcare is a business, he's deploying his entrepreneurial skills to set up a healthcare program that potentially could change outcomes for all of his people and act as a model for those improvements, not only in the US, but throughout the world. Here to share his vision is Eric Cardenas. Eric, you're very welcome to this call. I'm delighted that you were able to spend the time with me today. Now, you're involved in... A very difficult industry, and that is healthcare. But before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you come to this point in your life?
1: Yeah, well, thank you very much, Moyes, first of all, for having me on this call. I'm, uh, it's just a pleasure and an honor just to be able to share the story and a little bit about our mission and what we're working on. There isn't a single event, but rather a combination of experiences growing up in a Latino household that really made me who I am and and have really inspired me to do the things that we're working on today. So to give you a little background, a little context, you know, my parents are immigrants from Mexico. They moved to the United States in the late 60s, all with the intention of doing better for their families back home in Mexico for themselves and for the family that they would eventually have. I'm the youngest of three. And while we didn't grow up with a whole lot I really never felt like we we were ever missing anything. So, you know, we we didn't have a lot of resources. My parents, for much of my upbringing, we lived paycheck to paycheck. But the one thing that we had that really stayed with me was we really had a really strong family connection. We were there for each other. We supported each other. We saw how my parents made every effort to make it back to Mexico to visit family, To to provide for our extended family. And that's something that really stayed with me, it stayed with me through school. Growing up, I didn't have the best access to healthcare and, and to education, but we managed to, to do as much as we could with what we had. And it's really what influenced me to really kind of think about wanting to to do more. And so I knew that I had a, a privilege to not only stay in school. My parents, I think, had probably a, a middle school, junior high, like uh, secondary school education didn't. Have anything equivalent to to high school or or certainly not anything close to to university experience. And so, knowing that, I knew that I wanted to to help. And one of the first things that I wanted to do was become a teacher. And then I realized I wanted to be a doctor. And it was an ambitious goal. And while I was the first in my family to get into a major university, that dream of becoming a doctor kind of really fell apart when I entered my first year in university and realized just how unprepared. I was for school, and I realized that not all things were equal, not everyone that sometimes just having a desire to do something wasn't wasn't going to be enough, right that there are a lot of systemic barriers that I just didn't realize that I was going to have to overcome, and those are things that really kind of just impacted my ability to finish school at that time and so I was the first to get into a major university first to get kicked out, but I knew that I still wanted to help people and while I wasn't going to be a physician, I knew that I wanted to be in healthcare and that I'd find ways to provide support and I'd provide help eventually to my community by by working in healthcare. And so I spent the first half of my career climbing the corporate ladder for, for large health systems here in the United States. I literally started working front desk, you know, as a in, in the reception area at night and ultimately made it to a senior director of information systems for one of the largest health systems here in the United States. And so that gave me a lot of experience. Certainly you taught me a lot about how the, the business of healthcare really operates here in this country, and it really, again, it inspired me to to want to do more. And so that's what kind of inspired me to do what the second half of my career has really been focused on, which is entrepreneurship. And so over the last eight to 10 years, I've been helping build new ideas I I really cut my teeth early on working in in diagnostics, helped build a really successful company called EverlyWell. I then got recruited by Amazon in 2018 and got involved with some of their early healthcare initiatives, which brought me a lot of experience and a lot of exposure to just a new way of thinking about building and, and inventing ideas in healthcare. And. I also got involved with some of the early COVID response that uh, you know we undertook at Amazon, so helped lead some of those initiatives, which involved opening up some labs here in the US and in Europe. And in all of this, I felt like I was really finally at the top of my career. I also got my undergrad while I was working at Amazon, so I kind of got to close that chapter. But it's all of these experiences that really brought me full circle back to my community. And despite the fact that growing up, my, uh, my parents didn't have the best access, and I was always kind of translating and helping schedule appointments and figure out what, what insurance was and what a copay was and what a deductible was. I realized that all these years later, I finally had the experience and sort of the credibility that I really felt was necessary to finally build something for my community. And so that's what led to me and my co-founder, Marissa, who I met at Amazon, to start Socalo Health. With the intent of bringing a much improved experience to the underserved Latino community here in the United States. And so that's how the combination of just personal and professional experiences really led me to get into healthcare and ultimately to this really mission oriented initiative with with Socalo Health.
0: So, since the 1960s, we as a global population, both in the United States but elsewhere in the so called developed world have become older we've become sicker multimorbidity has become a big issue and on top of all of that it's much more expensive to provide healthcare for people because of the cost of technology and the cost of the science and the recouping of the investment that companies make in their innovations if you will that is the world that you entered particularly in the last 10 years. The question is, is it possible to be a corporate person, to be a business person, to be an entrepreneur in an environment where there is massive need and the customer is struggling to pay the
1: cost? You know, I think the short answer is absolutely, and, and it's out of necessity, right? What what we know and what you've talked about here is, is that Problems, especially here in the United States with our healthcare system, they're well-documented, right? At a macro level, what we know is that we have unsustainable costs, we have poor outcomes, and we have dissatisfied patients and providers, clinicians. And what, we've, what we can really do is we can reflect on the data and see that these factors, they're really disproportionately worse for lower income and chronically ill patients. As a society, we have failed to build sustainable, and scalable healthcare delivery models for low-income populations, especially with complex healthcare needs. The inequities in our social infrastructure, including the legacy of systemic racism, has also just really created unacceptable disparate health outcomes. And especially here in the United States, this has been further compounded by the fact that our industry has been using this fee-for-service payment model, which has really contributed to poor outcomes, particularly among these marginalized communities. And it's under this fee-for-service care model that providers are financially incentivized to see a high volume of patients, which really leaves little room to invest the dedicated time and the dedicated resources to address the plurality of an individual's needs across medical, behavioral, and social domains. So, So we know that's the problem, right, with the U.S. healthcare system. What we've decided to do is like, okay, well, let's talk about the marginalized, And here's where I lean into my own personal shared lived experiences. And I look at the Latino community, right? The Latino community, we're 18% of the U S population. We're expected to be 30% of the U S population by 2050. That just goes to show how quickly this population is growing. And when you think about who pays for healthcare for the Latino community, a large percentage, a disproportionate percentage is paid for by, by Medicaid and Medicare, right? By the government. And when we start to really think about the influence, the the health of this population is influenced not just by accessing healthcare, but it's also the social and and the economic circumstances that I I alluded to, right? With my own personal story and the pandemic, especially really magnified a lot of these barriers that that specifically the Latinos and, and, and communities of color have really faced. And, and these are striking disparities, right? In, in the quality of health that, that these patients receive, we're just not living as long, right? And and when we think about these barriers, we think about barriers such as language, we think of lack of insurance, there's different cultural beliefs. And then in some cases, we're also dealing with Ill- illegal immigration uh, status, You know, mistrust and illiteracy. And so all of these things are things that we have to think about when we think of the business of healthcare. And so when we think about how we're going to solve for this, understanding that, that, you know, cost is an issue, I think we've gotten to a point where there are all flavors of healthcare here in the United States. There are concierge services for the healthy and wealthy, and then we leave underserved communities to sort of depend on safety net services. My goal here is to build something that is sustainable, that is not only focused on improving access, but that's also... is focused on bringing together some of these alternative payment models that can help us get to a point of sustainability that shows that, one, we can engage these communities, the Latino community in particular, and that we can get them involved in these high-value patterns of healthcare that can really help drive down the cost of care, that allow us to really improve the experience for our clinicians, because, again, we want them to to do exactly the things that that prompted them to go into healthcare to begin with, and do this in a way that aligns with our stakeholders, that allows us to work with health insurance plans, with CMS, with the government, to ensure that we have sustainable payment models, not this fee-for-service model that just isn't going to work anymore, so that we can have the type of outcomes that we really deserve in these communities. And I think that when we talk about, it, and I hope we can talk about this in greater detail, you know, we're, we're trying to do this in a way that isn't necessarily novel. There isn't one single feature or or a magic bullet, if you will, that's going to solve this, but it's a culmination of things that we're trying to do that will help build and bring a ton of value to these underserved marginalized communities. One example that I'll give you is, you know, we're looking to hire community health workers. In Spanish, we call them promotoras de salud. And this is, hiring people within the community, because here in the U.S., one of the problems that we have with our healthcare system is that everything's siloed. We have healthcare providers, we have health economists, we have public health experts, we have policy experts, and no one works together. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to build a system that used community health workers to help build and earn trust in our community so that people can leverage and talk to people who looked like them, that spoke like them, that talked like them, that that had all these very similar experiences, these same shared lived experiences, and could use these individuals to not only help schedule appointments or manage a referral to a specialist, but they could also identify resources in their very own community that certainly impact their health. And it's those types of things that we're trying to build now that not only help us build a better model, a better experience for our patients, but we're also hiring people in the community. And that in itself is providing a ton of value to the community itself, where we're paying people livable wages, they have, they're, they're doing the things that they want to do, and, and we're doing it with this really mission-aligned goal of just providing much improved experiences and services that just have been missing. And again, I, I compare that to the safety net services, although very important in our community, just aren't really doing much to raise the bar and to really engage people in a healthier way. The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and mental health.
0: So if I can summarize this, I would say what you're trying to do is... To deal with the issue of cost by solving problems downstream, by finding solutions at a point where it is relatively straightforward, it is relatively cheap, if you want to use that word, to deal with the issue rather than waiting to the point where somebody requires expensive drugs, which are going to need a lot of very technical medicine to address.
1: Exactly. I think the simplest way to put it here is, is that Socalo Health was built to improve access and experience around primary care for the Latino community in the United States. We believe that primary care is where we should really be investing resources because it has the most opportunities to, to really bring impact to the community. And what I mean in impact, it's it's those outcomes that you mentioned. It's the cost, right? It's all of the things that healthcare is is really intended to do but that the business of healthcare in this country has sort of just not gotten right for 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 many years especially for for my community
0: and not just for your community or for our community it is largely for our country in the sense yep. that we have become so enamored of technology that you fail to see That in fact, if you didn't need this technology, you might actually achieve better results earlier. You talk about the social determinants of health. You are talking about addressing the social determinants of health downstream.
1: That's right. And you know, I think one point that I want to make here is is that everyone has good intentions. If you gave everybody a a magic wand and and said, "Hey, what are one of those things that we could address?" It probably would have to do with Health equity and, and addressing, you know, making social determinants a focal point in these care delivery models. But what's really important is that getting things right culturally really matters. One of the things that we see a lot in the healthcare system is is that they recognize that the Latino community is big and it's growing, and that we really need to connect with the Latino community. And one of the things that we see that happens a lot is people will translate content in English and then share it with their Latino or or Spanish dominant speakers and, and patients. And things just, that's not enough. And this is where understanding the specific healthcare needs of the Latino population is going to be really important. So before we develop any kind of healthcare solution, it's really crucial for us to understand the unique healthcare challenges faced by the Latino community in the U.S. And this is not just language, but this is cultural nuances. These are the social determinants of health. These are specific health conditions that disproportionately affect the community. And we believe that when you try to be all things to all people, you won't be anything to anybody. So in order for us to to truly address this, we have to one, earn trust and we have to use data to understand the population and the health of the population and We have to be able to meet people and communicate and connect with people in culture right language is not enough culture is where we really need to drive these connections because in some health systems you'll have people who bring in certified interpreters and they're going to interpret the content word for word but a lot of times the context is lost you don't know where whether someone's mexican or colombian You know, Latinos are not a monolith. And so it's those nuances that really matter. And if we truly want to address some of these social determinants, we need to know how to approach our patients and their families and their households in a way that is really connected and and built on trust and really allows us to get to that level of connection that's necessary to truly address those social determinants that are so common.
0: So what are the key elements of your system, when the rubber hits the road, how do you hire? How do you train? How do you provide a service that addresses the needs that you've identified?
1: Right now, Socalo Health is a virtual first primary care solution. So we, we recognized that accessing primary care was, was very difficult for the Latino community. I'll give you one statistic just to highlight that. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. That's, that's Harris County in Texas. And when you look at county level data, so before we even started Socalo Health, we did a lot of UX research and we also brought in some open, uh, some data sources uh, such as the the US census data and other data from CMS, from from government payers. And what we found was that there was countywide, there was one PCP for every 1200 residents. The ratio is not great, it's pretty good in the context of how, just how many providers we're seeing in a, in a metropolitan area. When you zero in on the zip codes that are predominantly Latino, like the zip code that I grew up in, that ratio jumps up from one PCP to every 1200 to one PCP for every 5,300 residents. So that means that my neighbors, my family, people in my community are now not only facing challenges in just trying to schedule a primary care appointment. So in these zip codes, people are waiting 30, 45 plus days just to schedule a primary care visit. And for that to only be five minutes with a provider, you can just imagine just how impersonal that whole experience is going to be. And then that's where you introduce some of these social determinants as well. So if you don't have a PCP in your zip code, you're now forced to leave your community. And that now brings in things like transportation, childcare paid time off of work, and all of the things that we know are just going to make these types of decisions even more difficult. And this is why people end up going to the hospital and taking these low value patterns of care that just are going to be more costly or or just result in just foregoing care altogether. And then that drives you again to just waiting until you're really sick and much more expensive, as you mentioned earlier. So knowing this, we started a virtual first uh, platform that allowed us to basically make access to primary care providers, which we hire, which we employ, much easier. But of course, that wasn't enough, right? It's not enough just to have a doctor answer the phone when someone reaches out. It is gonna be very important for us to really invest in culturally competent providers. These are providers who understand the cultural nuances of the Latino population and can communicate effectively in Spanish and can provide better care for our patients. So we're certainly investing in culturally competency training for our providers. Uh, We're hiring bilingual staff. And this is all a really strong foundation for us just to provide more personalized and, as I mentioned, culturally competent care to our members. And one of the things that we know is, is that healthcare is also local. And so as I mentioned earlier, when we hire our doctors, I can't always hire doctors in every location, but I'm also making sure that When we hire community health workers, if there is a community where we're seeing an uptick in patients and that community is blended, like I mentioned earlier, maybe there's Mexicans and Colombians in these communities, then we're gonna make sure that we hire community health workers that are representative of those populations so that we can make sure that the engagement there, the connections there, that the cultural alignment is there to ensure that we're providing the, the most personalized service that we can.
0: The Journal of Health Design,
1: fostering collaboration, amplifying the voice of health advocates, growing a network to improve outcomes in health care.
0: Going from one primary care practitioner for 5,300 patients to anything like one for 1,200 patients, that is a huge ask because the cost of providing primary care physicians is obviously very high. You've got the training, you've got all the other bits and pieces that go with that. Providing community health workers would be a much cheaper proposition. Is that Mm -hmm. essentially where you're starting? Are you starting by saying we need to provide some sort of access to healthcare before we provide what in another community would be regarded as the Rolls-Royce service?
1: When it comes to what our care model is gonna look like in a few years, it's probably gonna look very different than it is today. And the reason why is because we don't need to provide one doctor for every patient. Obviously that's not sustainable. And not only that, but it, I'm also gonna have just systemic challenges. Like there are not enough Latinos in medical school that we could bring into these communities. Like that is a, a systemic problem that as an industry we need to talk about. But for now, it's it's how do we ensure that these doctors that we do have at Zocalo Health are working at the top of their license, that they are focused on the most high value work that they can do, and how we can unload a lot of the administrative work that a lot of times bogs them down. And this is where some of the technology that we implement, that we develop, that we build for Zocalo Health is going to be really important. So first and foremost, we have to also think about that technology in itself can be a barrier. So our community health workers spend a lot of time with digital literacy and helping our patients get comfortable with technology because this technology can really help address many other barriers. The ones that I mentioned, such as transportation, working long hours and and needing extended access after hours to providers. And what we're finding is, is that by investing in that and helping our patients and their households navigate this technology, We find that sometimes our our patients don't necessarily want to talk to a doctor. A lot of times we can do asynchronous care, which, again, allows us to have some level of concurrency. We also find that there are other resources. These are going to be resources for mental health. These are going to be resources for nutritional services. And by having all of this as part of our ecosystem, we believe that we can take more of a team-based approach. To, to addressing uh, the primary care needs of our patients. And so I think what we're learning right now is we need to capture as much data, so leverage technology to, to gather as much data as possible so that we could properly analyze and assess the, the population health needs of the community. We're leveraging technology to bridge some of these gaps, some of these barriers that we talked about around access and, and hours of operations and things like that. We're also partnering with community-based organizations because in every community, there are wonderful resources that sometimes patients just don't know about, whether it's access to food banks, services that help with housing, you, you name it. There are, there are a lot of social good services out there. And we're partnering with these community-based organizations to make sure that, again, we take a team-based approach to solving the holistic needs of our patients and not just focusing on a single disease or several diseases. It's looking at the person and not the disease state. And I think it's all of these things that are working in conjunction with each other that will ultimately help us build a scalable model that again, will bring a lot of value to our patients and our providers, but more importantly also to the health plans, the health insurance companies that exist here in the United States that are also looking for ways to reduce the cost in some of these markets that we serve. And I think this is where what's going to be really important and really interesting to see develop over the next year or two is how we can enter into some of these alternative payment models that are not these fee-for-service models that we, we talk about that allow us to ultimately really build something that's sustainable, scalable, and effective in addressing the needs of the Latino community.
0: When we started this conversation, we talked about the fact that patients have changed, they're sicker, they're older, there's more multimorbidity, there's more complexity. But what you've highlighted in that segment was that not only has that evolved since 1983, but other things have changed as well in the way that people access healthcare, in how they're able to use technology to connect them to different sources of help. So in fact, in many ways, Providing health care is different in 2023 than it was in 1983, and therein lies the opportunity, the opportunity to create something that's fit for service that doesn't require the old model of you absolutely need one doctor per every 500 or 800 patients to deliver good primary care. You're saying that it is easier to service a larger population if you are creative in how you solve problems.
1: That's exactly right. I think we have to embrace some of the, the technologies that are out there. I don't think that the technology alone is going to, to solve the issue, but I think it used thoughtfully and in a way that again, complements the care that we're trying to provide will really be effective in how we, we move the needle. And, and again, it's really thinking outside the box and really f- trying to find ways to challenge the status quo that's going to really help us to, to, to make a difference and to really highlight the the opportunities that exist. And I think ever since we entered this market just a little under two years ago, it's been enough to also inspire others to, to want to do the same. And it's, just, it's really interesting to see how you can start these little movements by just simply challenging the status quo and showing people that there is room for us to do things differently. And again, it's no disrespect to what exists, what's existed before, but sometimes you just have to come in and, and trailblaze a new path and hope to inspire others. And whether it's you or someone else that really drives some results here, that, that's, that's the goal, is to deliver results.
0: So I want you to go back now into late 60s when your parents came to the United States and you in many ways, faced a very similar world. There were inequities, there was discrimination, there was, there was all of the things that you are now dealing with. So if you project 20 years ahead, how will it look different for your children and your grandchildren?
1: So little has changed in the last few decades. And I really do wish that with this tech era, all of the innovations that we've seen in healthcare I really do believe that we are now at a point, we're at a tipping point. We're seeing the the federal government start to make, codify some some policies that are really focused on health equity. And while those take time, uh, I'm not gonna be foolish here to think that those are things that are gonna happen overnight. I do think that they set a really important precedent, a really important foundation for how health systems think about serving the underserved. And I think what, I hope to see in the next 20, 30 years is, is that one, I think that these barriers to healthcare for, for some of these underserved communities are solvable. And I think that as we start to really think about healthcare, and as I mentioned earlier, just kind of the silos, right? I I think that in the next 20, 30 years, we're going to see more of this, these synergies come together between policy, public health, social work medical providers, and I'm hoping that we're going to start to see these stakeholders come together in a way that will make healthcare accessible to everyone. I think we're going to have to see in the next 20, 30 years, some real reform around how healthcare is paid for in this country. Because if we can really get that right, I think that that changes the way care is delivered for everyone. And we will no longer see the underserved and marginalized communities sort of having to deal with what's left and instead being treated as they should as individuals, because everyone matters. Everyone matters. And I think that these healthcare delivery models that we've seen pop up here for the healthy and wealthy, I think those are going to be made more accessible to, to the broader community. That is what my kids get to experience that they won't, won't have to deal with barriers with, with health insurance and long waits. And instead, will be able to access personalized care through the convenience of their, of their phone or in the home, if, if necessary. And I think those are the, the, the types of innovation that I hope they'll, they'll get to see.
0: The other thing that occurred to me, Eric, is that 30% of the population is a big voting population. And I think it's right. a, this is a wake-up call to those who think that this is a problem that can that should not be addressed it needs to be addressed eric you're a visionary your energy is inspiring and it's been a joy spending time with you thank you so much
1: thank you so much the health
0: design podcast serving patient and physician advocates
1: visit us at journal of health design dot com